0: Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg, and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times—it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report, and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, Herson—the destruction of a city—we're hearing from Zarina Zabrisky, one of only two foreign journalists in the Ukrainian town, alongside war photographer. Paul Conroy. Before we hear from Zarina, and she tells me she's right in the midst of an emergency situation, a quick reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. That's our brilliant monthly newspaper, which combines the best of our online coverage with content that you can't read anywhere else. We are an outlet that has not stinted in our coverage, nor will we, of the Russian invasion Of Ukraine. So let's touch base then with Zarina. Zarina, hi, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Tell us exactly what you are seeing there.
1: Hi, Adrian, and thanks for having me on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This is quite an emergency situation here as it's unrolling now as we're speaking. We have yet another air raid in the city, and I lost count, honestly, just today. It's probably 10th or 20th. Basically, they're going on and off. And sometimes their air raid siren doesn't coincide with actual attack because of the geographical uh, position Of the city. And if you're not familiar, I will just give a very brief summary overview of Kherson and of its story throughout these invasions, throughout the Russian full scale war of aggression in Ukraine. So, Kherson is the southern city. It used to have a population close to 300,000, and it was the only major Ukrainian city that the Russian military managed to seize during this war. It's positioned very strategically on the Black Sea, very close, and directly on River Dnipro, the third biggest river in Europe. And it cuts Kherson region in two parts. So there is a right bank, where I am speaking from, and there is a left bank, which is still occupied by the Russians. So on March 1st, 2022, just a to- Week into the invasion, the Russians managed to capture the city. The attack was unexpected. The Ukrainian troops had to retreat. And from then on, it was mainly the resistance. And there were nine months of occupation, basically of torture and terror, when the Russians were riding their armed vehicles all around the city and arresting civilians for just looking at their phone at the wrong time. There were at least four torture chambers. We covered the tortures before on your show. I covered them extensively in different reports, including our documentary film Under Deadly Skies from Byline Time with John Sweeney, Paul Conroy, and Kaylin Robertson. And finally, on November 11th, 2022, the Russians retreated back on the other side of the river where they still are located now. And I was here on the Liberation Day when President Volodymyr Zelensky visited. And that's exactly when the shelling and attacks on the city from the other side started. Since then, they never stopped. There's been incessant shelling, artillery, fire, tanks, mortars, you name it. But the last two weeks, it really intensified. And the issue here is that These attacks are underreported. There are not enough journalists here for very good reasons because a lot of people are covering the Croatia counteroffensive. Many journalists are in Donbass with still intense fighting going on. And it's also extremely difficult to get permit to get here. And not everyone has time and funds to be waiting for such permit, because we are based in Ukraine, it was easier for us to wait for the permit. We also have been working here quite a bit, and we are known to the authorities. Anyway, it was very difficult to get the permit. But finally, after months of waiting, we got it. And so now we are here, and we are witnessing and reporting every day destruction after destruction of civilian critical infrastructure schools churches today we just came back from a beautiful church it's russian orthodox no i'm sorry russian it's ukrainian of course orthodox church and the reason i made the slip of tongue because there was a big controversy with churches going on in ukraine for a while there was a branch of orthodox church that was still reporting to moscow and it's an ongoing process right now to detach the whole ukrainian orthodox church from the russian authorities right let's put it this way but the church that we have visited today that was under attack at 4 a.m. in the morning is a ukrainian orthodox church and we spoke to the priest who was So sad, Adrian. He was just sitting there by his beautiful church that was crumbled and damaged, these big pieces of torn, almost flesh, I want to say. It looked like an alive being. A beautiful church in good condition. Of course, now it's damaged. And around the cathedral, there are some premises. So another shell hit the wall and went into the basement where it was sitting unexploded. Right as we were there filming and documenting, the police and military are working so hard, nobody came yet to do the detonation. Right there next to it, there was another MLRS shell sitting in the middle of the street, busy street, with a lot of shops, cafes. Most of them are closed by now because... I don't have the statistics, but locals tell me that there is about 10,000 left. If that, that's from 270,000, if you remember me mentioning the population before the war. And the situation around Kherson is even worse. We managed to get with volunteers on evacuation trip. It wasn't easy to do because... We're getting closer to the front lines, so there's a lot of checks. But our documents all proper, and we were allowed to go and shoot evacuation. And we watched them film this elderly ladies being dragged from the boats because there are a lot of rivulets all over. The landscape is peculiar. It's not just one solid piece of land. There's a lot of small rivers and lakes, and a lot of it is covered with reeds. So anything could hide into them. It's extremely dangerous. And the Russians could see that far. In some places, they're only 5 to 10 kilometers away, supposedly. And also there are drones flying everywhere. Since we came here, we saw quite a few drones. They are hunting people. Also, we've been told that they are hunting journalists. That's another reason why not many of us are here. So the evacuation was intense. There was smoke rising from aerial bombs very close to us. The GPS systems are being jammed. You don't know where you are. And the roads are in extremely bad conditions after all the shelling and all the fighting and perhaps heavy equipment using them for months. And it is extremely hard situation. I would call it a humanitarian crisis. And I would also say that we need to get attention to the city as soon as possible because there are residential buildings you know, blocks of buildings being wiped out in the city as we speak.
0: And Zarina, you mentioned some of the strategic importance of Herson. The river Dnipro, as you say, runs right through the middle of Ukraine. So whoever controls access to that has significant access to other parts of Ukraine. But really, it seems the gateway to Crimea. And recovering Crimea, as I understand it, or gaining Crimea, is a key Russian war objective.
1: That is correct. So there's even more to that. This is absolutely true. The Dnipro River cuts through Ukraine. It actually starts in Russia, all the way up closer to north of Russia, in a very small river. And then it flows through Belarus, and all the way down to the Black Sea. But it only becomes this wide, powerful Dnipro River we know here in Ukraine. It's quite wide. It's spectacular, although right now you can't even come close to it because it's so dangerous. There are drones there and there are snipers on the other side. Snipers are a little bit further now, but they were here throughout most of the liberation period until now. But what's important from the strategic point of view is that Kherson, in a way, is a launch pad for a possible potential or desired, let's put it, assault on Ukrainian seaports of Mykolaiv and further on Odessa. And the Russians and some Russian generals were discussing in the beginning of the war, the plan of capturing Kherson, capturing Mikhailov, going on to Odessa, and then proceeding from there to Transnistria, which is a Russian proxy, unrecognized state area in Moldova. And from there, you can imagine they might have an appetite to go even further. But this whole southern territory is the delicacy that the Kremlin definitely wants to have, and Kherson is critical for that. And then going southwest and then going to the east, there's the whole land corridor from Melitopol all the way to Crimea, which is being disputed now and which we have discussed many times, I think, on your show as well. If this land corridor is retreated by Ukrainians, if they manage to get it, then they can cut Crimea off the Russian mainland and turn it into a trap.
0: And in terms of international support for Ukraine, Serena, there was a big disappointment in recent times that the US Congress had dropped a £6 billion aid package to Ukraine now this was part of the bartering that takes place in the US political system to ensure that a budget can get passed so it doesn't mean ultimately that Ukraine won't get that level of aid or it won't get at least significant aid from the United States but clearly it places it in jeopardy in better news I know the European Union has been talking about an aid package something in excess of five billion US dollars for next year But I suppose there has to be a fear, and particularly with the presidential election looming, that US support for Ukraine against the Russian invasion might be weakening.
1: Well, I wouldn't go as far. I think the support is still there. And the forces that are on the correct side of this war are continuing to support Ukraine. However, the information warfare is continuing. And that's what we see here. We see the results of the Kremlin geopolitical game, and they are very good at it. And here we go back to the subject that we've always discussed, even before the beginning of the so-called big war, full-scale invasion in Ukraine. The Kremlin propaganda, call it what not, the hybrid war troops, right? The invisible presence on the internet, the strategic brainwashings, the manipulation of the collective mind of the global community. Is that what we're seeing here? And right now, the Republicans or the extreme Republicans, let's call them this way, are now showing that this work the Kremlin has been doing is not in vain. They have achieved their results. And we will see more of that as the election will approach. We will see these battles, and we're already seeing them on former Twitter, now X. We'll see it on Facebook. We'll see it across all social media platforms and mass media. Even the fact that we don't have enough coverage of such dramatic extreme situation as Kherson is a part of the information warfare. It's silencing of important developments. And, of course, we see it on Twitter. I don't know about you, but whenever I open X, all I see are Elon Musk's tweets, and I'm not even subscribed to him. (laughs) I also see a lot of Kremlin trolls pushing the Kremlin propaganda Facebook is acting differently. They just ban anything that is slightly political. And because I w- used to be located in California, very close to YouTube hardcore, it's very close to Silicon Valley. And I did some research there. I know what's happening in Facebook. They have hired, maybe unbeknownst to even themselves, a lot of Russian immigrants, perhaps even still Russian citizens, to work at Facebook. And so a lot of bans and a lot of algorithms are going through people who are Putin sympathizers. And that's what we see here. And on Twitter, we see Elon Musk. That's very clear, I believe, to most people what's going on there.
0: Indeed. And uh, something we've discussed with you and other contributors like Heidi Sigmund Kuda as well here on the Byline Times podcast. Just to finish, Serena, clearly we're doing our little bit here with this podcast and through Byline Times to let the world know about the atrocities and the destruction of Haesan. What else needs to be done? What would your plea to the world be?
1: A very good question, Adrian, and thank you. I think awareness is number one for people who are listening. It's critical that you keep yourself abreast with what's going on here in Ukraine. It concerns not just Ukraine. It concerns the whole world. What we have here will spread if it's not stopped here. I'm not even going to go into the moral aspect of helping Ukraine. I think most people understand that when civilians are being killed on a daily basis, something needs to be done. But I'm actually, at this point, turning to somewhat, uh, well, if you will, egotistical, right, or healthy self-preservation instincts. If Putin is not stopped, he will go further just as he went to Ukraine when nobody believed that he would. If the collective international global community does not unite and does not take the right legislative moves, doesn't take the right financial moves, we are dealing with a situation that is close to World War II, when eventually the Allies would be drawn into the world war again. So, being informed, looking at the information coming directly from Ukraine, um, not just from Kherson, but from the front, from Donbass, and also if you could, helping people here is still of utmost importance because many people cannot leave Kherson now even though the routes for them are open, but simply because they don't have means to go anywhere else. The war has been going on for two years and many funds are exhausted. There's not as much humanitarian aid coming in. And to relocate your family to another place costs a lot of money and requires a lot of material resources which people simply don't have because there are no jobs here everything is closed and the enterprises and businesses are being shelled on a daily basis by the russians so awareness and help that's what's needed
0: zarina thank you so much good luck to you and paul and i look forward to a follow-up to that fantastic film as well that you made with John Sweeney and Kaelin Robertson as well. I'm Adrian Goldberg. You've been listening to the Byline Times podcast. This episode has been produced by me and Harvey White in Birmingham. It is a We Bring Audio production for the Byline Times, and you can support the Byline Times podcast by taking out a subscription to the Byline Times. In return, you get a rather fantastic monthly newspaper as well. Head over to bylinetimes.com for details of how to subscribe. Thanks for listening, and for now, goodbye. Take care.